Welcome to Don't Talk to Me Unless It's About This. I'm here with Marie to talk about the first half of the book, The Mothers by Britt Bennett. And a quick recap of what's happened in the first half. We've read up until the end of chapter eight, which is a little more than halfway. We felt like it was a good stopping point. So the book is told in third person, as if by the mothers, who are the old women of this local church called Upper Room. And we've got Nadia and Luke, whose summer relationship ends when Nadia gets an abortion that Luke wishes she didn't. Nadia then befriends Aubrey, a religious girl who has her own trauma that Nadia doesn't understand. Nadia then goes off to college. And at the point that we've just stopped at, Nadia has come home for the first time in four years because Aubrey and Luke are getting married. And Marie, you have read this book in full and you are the one who suggested it to us. I recently was recommended this book by two different friends and I just couldn't stop uh, once I picked it up. And so I knew that we needed to talk about it because I needed to talk about it. <laughs> yes. So. And then and then I went to look it up because I've read The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. And I went to look this up and realized I've also read this book. I think I read it in 2019 and I had marked it as four stars on my Goodreads. And now just halfway through, I'm like, oh, moving that to five stars. And it's been so fun to like the things that I have remembered coming back to me. And also, I don't remember what happens in the second half. So it's really nice to be in it like a fresh reader. And I do think it's funny. It's one of those books that I think grows on you and you become more obsessed with it as you read through the book. And then once I got to the end of the book, which we'll talk about next time, I got pills reading the last paragraph. And I just wanted to turn back to page one and start over. So I think it's funny that you're having this experience where you liked it the first time, but now you're upgrading it to five stars. I really want to talk about this group narrator, the mothers. Obviously, it's also the title of the book. They are a sort of a Greek chorus type figure uh, throughout the the book. And so obviously there's significance to it. And so I just wanted to talk about what you thought about that. When I started the book, I was so, I just like my heart was so full and so happy when I remembered who the mothers were and how this whole story was told. I just find it so comforting. These old women kind of like watching over their community I mean, sometimes they're kind of judgmental and not that comforting, but but overall, I feel like there is this sense of just, you know, we're making sure everyone's okay. We're watching, we're seeing it happen. And I also really love that the third person voice still changes based on which character they're kind of talking about. Like, you know, when when they're talking more about Luke, the thoughts that he's having or the things that are said that aren't his exact words are still in his voice as opposed to like one narrator's mm -hmm. voice. I remember there was one quote about, you know, he said something about like, oh, that was, this was the kind of personal trainer that a fat housewife would go to. And I was like, oh, that's kind of like a cringy thing, but this is Luke's voice. Like that's what was going through his head. Um, mm -hmm. And so I like that it morphs with the characters almost like first person. And yeah, there is 
it's funny because I had told you when you sent me this book, I said, if this book is about motherhood, I don't want to read it right now because I've read a lot of books recently where the central topic is motherhood, mother-child relationships, and I just need a break. And then it's funny because in some ways that is so clearly the theme of this book still, but in other ways it's, it doesn't like, it's not thrown at you. At least it didn't feel yeah. like to me. I love that you pointed out that they, the mothers are the, like the voice of the community in the book. And I, and that they're judgmental sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I had this feeling of, um, yeah, I grew up in a small town where everybody knows everybody else and you know who's related to who and what they've been up to. And, you know, there's something that's nice and comforting about that, like you said. And there's also something that's a little bit insidious and doesn't necessarily allow you to be more than or different than uh, the family you came from or the circumstances in your life. And so I think that there's something in this story about that, which we can talk more about once we've completed reading the book and and have the whole arc. But I, I do think there's something there that's really interesting and subtle. Definitely. I grew up in my town probably had more people than yours, but was one square mile, was very condensed. And there was just one school, K through 12, and pretty much everyone, you know, went there the whole time. And when I look back on it, I think it's always hard to reinvent yourself throughout your teenage years as you're kind of figuring out who you are. But I do feel like there was this extra challenge that I didn't realize I felt that like reinventing myself wasn't an option because everyone already knew me as whoever they knew me as. And, you know, second grade, fourth grade, sixth grade. And so I think Luke has actually changed and evolved by this point in the story. Um, As much as I really didn't like his early self, like his, who he was with Nadia, um, I feel like he has really evolved and let himself like become a different person despite never leaving his hometown. I think Aubrey, I feel like Aubrey kind of has always been fairly mature and hasn't necessarily changed, but also I feel like hasn't really needed to change. Whereas I feel like Nadia hasn't really changed or grown at all yet, despite having been the only person who's left and had this external life change. But internally, she seems still haunted by all the same demons. I think you're right. I think some of the story is about, you know, at the very beginning of the story, Luke and Nadia have this abortion. And it wasn't really necessarily what Luke wanted, although I don't think he he really said that in the moment. And then it sort of follows the two of them for a number of years after that and how their lives evolve. And I felt like even by this point in the story, Luke comes to a place where he's accepting that he wants this small, simple life as a father as a husband and Nadia is off literally traveling the world trying to live a big life and it sort of has this sort of opposite impact on the two of them I was just curious what you thought about that well I absolutely loved Carlos Luke's PT when he was after he was beat up by the Cobras and how he had said to him 
you know, you don't need to stop trying to be a big man. Just try to be or stop trying to have a big life. Try to have a good life or instead of being a big man, have a a good be a good person. And I feel like Luke really took that that advice to heart. And you see Nadia and Shadi, she hates that he even brings up the future and talks about those things, which is odd because that's what she seemed to want when she was with Luke. Like she wanted this stability and love, but I think she really doesn't know how to accept love. And, and she also resents him for even considering altering his life for her. She sees that as I guess not an option or not an appropriate way to show love. And I, I guess for her, that's a lot of feeling like she held her mother back, even though she doesn't really know if that was the case. Like, we don't yet know why her mother was so unhappy. I don't know if we'll find that out. Don't tell me. Um, <laughs> but she she's really internalized this idea she has that if you hold some, you can never hold anyone back. And like, that's the best way to live is just not being held back. But that doesn't really allow space for having relationships. Yeah, it's something ironically that I think she learned from her mother and her mother, uh, which we didn't bring up when you were doing the introduction, but a big part of the beginning of Nadia's story is that her mother had recently committed suicide. So for her, her mother was deeply unhappy. And throughout the book, she's putting together these pieces of things that her mother told her about don't get pregnant, don't have a baby, look at what happened to my life, you will break our hearts if you do this. And, and how that those words have been internalized um, and keep her separate from, I don't know, relationship, uh, close relationships with, I guess, men. I, 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 don't, I don't know, but I think it's interesting how that plays out through the book, that she keeps remembering these things that her mother said to her about being a mother. And she's really, I mean, she even keeps a certain distance with Aubrey that she never wanted Aubrey to know about this abortion. She was worried that Aubrey wouldn't love her the same way. And it's interesting, this idea that, because I know people who have had kids when they were 18 or 20, and then they tell their kids, like, make sure to have safe sex. And it's, it's a very gray area message that I imagine is hard to not see as just black and white, especially when you're that kid of wait, if you're telling me not to do this thing, does that mean like I was bad? And in some ways, they're not really saying that. There is an element of it, though. And so it's a very kind of tricky message to teach a kid if you have had a kid young yourself. And she can't ask her mother these questions. So for mm -hmm. her, it's just a very much, I need to listen to her and, and also wondering about what that means about her own life. and was see the cause of her mother's unhappiness. I mean, I think there's so many pieces there that that kind of are woven throughout the book of Nadia trying to live out this promise to her mother of going to a good school, living this big life, but then also kind of not really finding happiness or contentment through through those things feeling stuck not evolving in the way that you know Luke does 
even though he stays in one place. So right. I thought that was really cool the way that the author kind of showed those two, almost like a dichotomy of this one decision was made. Here's what happens, the ripple effect of that in two different lives. And it makes me think about it. I feel like there's kind of this story told in life that if you're in a romantic relationship, you should never hold each other back. You should support each other and live your full of streams. And I don't know. I think that's kind of not always, that can't really be 100% true. I think there is compromise to being in a relationship and you have to decide for yourself if it's worth it. And I think most people decide it is worth it to have that connection and love with someone. And it might mean that you can't just live anywhere in the world and move every month and do every single thing you want to do because you're choosing to to make a life with someone else. Yeah, definitely. I was curious about when Aubrey and Nadia become friends, which is sort of this unlikely friendship that comes up through the fact that they become coworkers. They both connect around the fact that they don't have a mother. Nadia's has died. Aubrey's is, she chose to leave her mother's home because of experiences of abuse that she was having there. And so now they both seem to be trying to do better than their mother or make them proud. And I thought that that was what an interesting way to bond with a friend, (laughs) first Mm -hmm. of all. And I'm wondering, like, what do you think of their relationship? Like, are they like pseudo sisters, mother figures for each other? What, What are they creating a new family together? Like what? What do you think about their relationship? Because they're super intimate and close from like day one. Nadia is living essentially at Aubrey's house. Yes. And they're very different. It almost feels like Aubrey is a mother to Nadia and Nadia is a sister to Aubrey. Um, mm-hmm. And they, I really appreciate the way the author both shows how close and intimate they are. And also, despite that, they have secrets and they also are both so incredibly jealous of each other throughout the whole, I mean, the whole first half so far for different things. Some of it related to boys and being pretty or being confident or doing what you want to do. And other times it's related to their trauma with their mothers. And I think it almost helped Nadia in a weird way to see like it could have almost because she she saw Aubrey's situation as as worse in some ways. Like, can you imagine a mother who let someone hurt you? And I think it kind of helped her to not feel so bad for herself and appreciate that other people also have their own pain and struggle. And you don't know it, especially because she, Nadia, so judged Aubrey as this like stupid little Christian girl, goody two shoes before she got to know her and. I think she really, it's strange, this idea of respecting someone for them having undergone trauma in some ways aligned with yours, but I guess it's maybe just a way of being like finding connection. Like you said, this theme of interconnectedness and realizing, oh, I thought this person and I were really different, but actually we have a lot to share. Nadia, for sure, was very judgy about Aubrey before they started getting to know each other. And then 
I think Nadia seems closer and more intimate with Aubrey than anyone else in her life, even though there are still secrets there for on both sides. I love their relationship in this book. I do think there's a little line of foreshadowing that I appreciated towards the end of this first half, which I wondered if you had picked up on. It is um, leading up to Aubrey's wedding. And they have kind of a a final hurrah out together uh, where they meet these two military Mm -hmm. men and they're uh, having this this fun evening and the line is something like I felt nostalgic about our relationship Nadia's feeling nostalgia about about her I have it underlined right here (laughs) do you I love that line read it page 174 she was getting married and Nadia was returning to the midwest would they ever spend time like this together again could you be nostalgic for a friendship that wasn't over yet or did the fact that you were nostalgic mean that it already was? I was thinking about my hopes for the second half. And to me, the most precious relationship is Aubrey and Nadia. But I know they're going to undergo some kind of strife. Like I'm not rooting for Luke and Nadia or Nadia and Shadi. I don't really care. Aubrey and Luke seem very healthy and solid to me. I do root for them. But more than anything, Nadia and Aubrey have this relationship that I want to come out together by the end of the book. Yeah. And so I agree. the nostalgia quote makes me sad and nervous. And I just think it's an interesting moment of a relationship about to transition no matter what. Aubrey's about to get married. Nadia's not. That relationship may change. Right. And mm-hmm. there's so many beautiful lines throughout Brit Bennett is such an incredible writer and I, I that one really stood out to me it's foreshadowing potentially the future of their relationship but also I think just the acknowledgement that all relationships change and evolve like that over time and they weren't likely going to be sleeping in each other's bed every night moving forward Nadia and Luke each lied in different ways about their relationship to Aubrey what do you make of each of their omissions? And is one kind of more dangerous than the other? You mean, is it more dangerous that Luke withholds his re- past relationship and the yeah. versus Nadia? Mm-hmm. Well, Nadia has no reason to share that she and Luke had a relationship or an abortion with Aubrey. Until they start dating. But even then, I, I think it's a, a weird moment of, does it even matter at that point if your friend is in a serious relationship with someone you dated in high school, you've moved on, you're with someone else, you don't even live there. Uh, I I kind of see Nadia's perspective on not sharing. There's lots of things that you don't share with different friends if they weren't a part of your life when it happens. Not because you're being withholding really in any way. Although I think, but I think they both still do kind of care in some way. I think, I think Nadia Mm -hmm. originally didn't share it because she was ashamed. 
she was ashamed of having the abortion and she was ashamed of the way Luke left her. And Mm. I think Luke didn't share it first because he still loved and had this had these feelings for Nadia. And so I think that's why he didn't share it. And even when he does share with Aubrey, I, you know, she says, tell me a secret. And he says, I was with a girl and she had an abortion. He says, I loved her. And so now, like, when presumably this is all going to come out, that's going to already have been out there. And I feel like there's this strange lingering. It's weird because Nadia, in some ways, seems to be still kind of have feelings for Luke. And in other ways, you know, she was so mad when she found out Aubrey was getting married to him because she said to to Shadi, oh, my friend's marrying an asshole. She doesn't know he's an asshole yet. But as I'm saying that now, I'm like, is that what she actually was thinking? Or is that what she just said? Because Shadi said, oh, what's wrong? And she couldn't be like, oh, my friend's getting married to someone I wish I was getting married to. What do you think? Did she mean that? Or was she just saying it? I think she was hurt by him. Yeah, I agree with you that she she didn't share with with Aubrey. I think there's like some, I mean, people are complex. This is obviously a complex character. I think the author does an amazing job of writing that because all of what you said, I think is true too. She was ashamed that it happened and hurt by Luke and embarrassed that that is how it went down and there was a point in the book where I was kind of rooting for Nadia and Luke to resolve things I kept thinking surely this is going to come out that they they really were in love and this is going to take a turn of some kind uh and there is a scene before the wedding at uh Luke's house at the wedding shower where they like had this really beautiful reconnection moment and he had an item that belonged to her mother that he returned to her and it was really sweet and yet yeah it's infuriating it's infuriating how that happened that he just left her in the lurch he was supposed to pick her up after the abortion he doesn't so and it's almost because it, he cared too much. I mean, I don't know. What do you think that was? Well, I think what he did is he equated having a baby as proving you love someone. And I think this is kind of how it's seen a lot. People think about, oh, if if you don't want to have a baby with me, you must not love me enough. enough. And I think that is absolutely not true. I don't think those two have any. Those two things don't have anything to do with each other, how much you love someone and whether or not you want to have a baby, period, or have a baby with them. And so I think Luke got those two things confused in his mind that if she didn't want to have a baby, it was like an affront to him and that he was the wounded one. And oh my God, it made me so mad the scenes later in Luke's life when he's talking to the Cobra players and he's like, this is so messed up, this chick killed my baby and men don't have any rights and I was wronged and I do think Nadia and Luke could have benefited from more of a discussion around the baby situation but I don't think that it I don't think Luke had the proper narrative in his head of like oh I was just robbed I also think he maybe realized in that moment how much he loved Nadia 
And maybe that kind of jolted him or startled him. And what's sad is he was the one previously who had been hiding her and not allowing their relationship to become what it was. Maybe if he hadn't hidden their relationship, then Nadia would have been like, okay, I do want to have this baby. Or she still would have said, I don't want to have this baby, but they would have had a productive conversation out of it and been real about their feelings for each other. They just 100% missed each other on that. I don't think that Nadia would have had the baby no matter, but I see. I think you're right. I don't think she would have. Yeah. Yeah. I think they would have. I see what you're saying. Could have stayed together through an abortion if they had been a real public relationship. Yes. Yeah. And I think him even being able to say, I'm really sad. I feel like I want this with you because I love you or, or like you're saying, I think it's really interesting that you, that you say that he was conflating her loving him with keeping the baby or not. I think you're right. There is a part of him that felt personally rejected by her because of that decision that she made. And it didn't have anything to do with him at all. It was about her history with her mother and her future. I want to talk about these two different quotes from the mothers about kind of unrequited love. And one was on page 22. They talk about that little bit of honey left in an empty jar that traps the sweetness in your mouth long enough to mask your hunger. We have run tongues over teeth to savor that last little bit as long as we could. And in all our living, nothing has starved us more. And they're talking about that last little bit. And I love the way that Brit puts a little bit as one word of love that you get from a man. And you just hold on to that one little nice thing, despite all the other not good things. And then they talk on page 88 about how a girl nowadays has to get nice and close to tell if her man ain't shit. And by then, it might be too late. We were girls once. It's exciting loving someone who can never love you back. Freeing in its own way. No shame in loving an ain't shit man, long as you get it out your system good and early. A tragic woman hooks into an ain't shit man, or worse, lets him hook into her. He will drag her until he tires. He will climb atop her shoulders, and her body will sag from the weight of loving him. Yes, those are the ones we worry about. And especially, I'm especially struck by the line of it's exciting loving someone who can never love you back. What is it that is satisfying about those situations? What is freeing about loving someone who can't love you back? First of all, I also underlined both of those parts. They're so good and there's so much universal truth in there. And it makes me think about the ways that she goes back and forth from the characters' lives to those sort of overarching narratives from the mothers. And that second one in particular, as I was reading it about the the man that will never love you back, it wasn't happening. That narrative wasn't necessarily right on the opposite side of a breakup or anything like that. It was just intermixed with one random part of the story 
So I, I was curious, like, why did she put that there in the narrative? But anyway, aside from that, mm. I think. Yeah, well, I'm looking. I'm looking at that yeah. chapter. This is the beginning of chapter five. And the next part is about Luke dropping all the dishes, kind of being such a mess after him and Nadia being together. And then you go into Nadia and Aubrey's relationship forming, spending all these nights together. And you're right. It makes me wonder, you know, who is Britt Bennett talking about? Is it Luke loving Nadia and not being loved back? Nadia loving Luke? Nadia and Aubrey having, you know, any kind of misses of love or caring for each other in their friendship. It could be, and yeah. then, you know, there's so many things, Nadia and her father. I mean, it could go on and on. Yeah. Well, and it also could just be the judgmental voice of the, of the mothers, right? It's like mm -hmm. they see Luke as an ancient man, right? And the reality is he didn't really love Nadia back the way she needed to be. He kept her secret. She really loved him. She believed that he loved her, though. That's what I thought was. He kept going back to those moments where he was holding her feet in his lap. He mm -hmm. was doing all these gentle, sweet things that indicated um, that he did love her. And yet, you know, again, this line about the, the there's just that little bit of honey left in the jar. And it tastes sweet, but it's never going to fill you up. And so I think that that's a little bit of what they're showing Nadia was experiencing. Like, this feels like love, but it's not. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And so, but you're still hungry for it. So you just keep going back to that empty honey jar, right? She just keeps going back to Luke trying to get you know, even showing up at these house parties where she knows he's going to be. She wants something from him. And, and I think there's a line later on when she has moved away or I can't remember exactly when it happened. Oh, I think maybe when she was taking Aubrey to the, sec the second time she goes to that house party where she knows Luke also goes. And she talks about wanting closure. This is making me think <laughs> of, did you read Where the Crawdads Sing? I have. Amazing. And I just listened to our beloved pop fiction women did an episode on the book and I listened to it yesterday and they were talking about this one part where Tate is apologizing to Kaya for anyone who hasn't read them. Just, you know, a, a boy who has done wrong is apologizing to a girl he has wronged. And he says, can you forgive me? And she has this great quote. I, th I think it's just a thought she has of why does a person who has been wounded also have to carry this burden of forgiving? You've got, already got this open wound. Why do you have to do something like that? And it's making me think in this moment, they both felt like the person with the open wound and didn't know it. They didn't know that to each of them, the ball was in the other person's court to make it right. Whereas in other relationships, it's more clear, okay, this person did the wrong thing. Ball is in their court to apologize. But Nadia and Luke, it was more complicated because they both felt like they deserved an apology. Yes, you're so right. And they both couldn't see that the other person felt that way. Well, we haven't talked much about Aubrey and Luke's relationship yet. Yeah. What have you thought about their whole relationship <laughs> so yeah. far? I think... 
Aubrey is sort of a healing presence in his life. And so I think to me, their relationship seems, it seems actually quite healthy for the most part, I think. It, I, I don't know what you felt about that, but I, I, I agree. I agree. How this was going. And actually, I feel like Aubrey and Luke were kind of healing each other because of mm-hmm. her mistrust issues with men because of her, her history of abuse and, and trauma. And then he also has his own healing, both physical and emotional to do that she comes in and supports him through. Yeah. I think they really do They're have very this mutual. beautiful, yeah, this beautiful mutual healing relationship. And it makes me scared and nervous of, oh God, the secret's going to come out and do something to it. Before being with Aubrey, Luke had had that relation, like quote, relationship with Cherry and his teammate's wife. That was really, you know, a friendship that bordered on crossing the line. And I think was that was a loving relationship, but also where Luke was really being taken care of. And there were all these quotes about Luke liking the idea of being with an older woman because they expect less of you and him wanting that. But then also, and then later when he's in physical therapy and rehab, Carlos pushes him on that kind of idea and is like, you can't just let yourself be taken care of by women your whole life. You've got to, you've got to step up here. And I was glad to see that. I was kind of looking in Luke and Aubrey's relationship to see, was he letting himself just be taken care of, even though Aubrey's younger? And I don't think he did. I think they, I think you're right that they mutually helped each other. He helped her by being supportive of being in this loving but non-sexual relationship and never pressuring her on that and being very respectful of her boundaries. And, you know, that she finally opens up to him about her abuse, which she had never told anyone before. And she helps him be his best self. She pushes him, you know, hey, you should go to physical therapy school. Yeah, it's going to take two years, but what else are you doing? And she nudges him in a positive direction. And so I think it was really lovely. The kind of the one I guess question it made me think about was, I think it was so, I think their relationship is so lovely because it was based on friendship and not this like hot love, lust, sexual energy. I think they were able to get more real with each other by starting in this more friendship zone. And then I didn't like, Luke had all these quotes about like, almost like he was embarrassed of himself by being attracted to women who he felt weren't conventionally attractive. Like with Cherry, there was lines about, oh, she wasn't the normal kind of pretty woman he'd like. She was bigger or this or that. And with Aubrey, it was the same thing. She didn't have the beauty that like knocked him out like Nadia. And it was just kind of this icky feeling of looking at shallowness head on and realizing kind of the ways that lust and attraction get tangled up with respect. And then it's almost like, oh, did he not, was he not able to respect Nadia because he had such this, you know, hot, fiery energy that he felt towards her? What did you think about this way that his relationships with Nadia were so different from his relationships with Cherry and Aubrey because of the physical attraction piece? 
I hadn't thought about that. So that's a good question. Okay, so so go with me here on this. So Luke has these this different type of attraction to these people. He almost feels like emotionally safe with them. Mm-hmm. Whereas he felt kind of scared, I guess, emotionally with, with Nadia for whatever reason. Like you said, maybe it's this lust or this like physical attraction piece. So the one thing about Ob- the chink in the armor of Aubrey and Luke's relationship for me is this moment that she has when she's out on this final hurrah with Nadia before her wedding where they meet these two military men and she ends up having this physical encounter with one of them like secrets that Nadia she doesn't tell Nadia about in the bathroom physical encounter that she has never had that type of physical relationship with Luke and she felt so trusting of this man and she felt so different about him and it made me think to myself okay what is what is Britt Bennett trying to say here about the relationship that these two people have to each other they're healing each other it seems like a really positive relationship and yet all of a sudden this other man that she meets who also seems like a good man too unlocks this totally different side of her Mm. and I think that's true of Nadia with Luke as well and it makes me wonder about their relationship like is it just a relationship that should be healing and positive for them both and then they move on and they find a different person that's actually like able to take them to a different level beyond just that initial healing I don't know but I think it's interesting that there's that scene I was like what's happening here I didn't see this coming I didn't yes. know that this was possible for this person. So I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I saw that in a totally different way. And I also now see it from the way you just described it. I felt like on that scene when they're on the beach starts first when the two men come up to them and ask them to play volleyball. And Aubrey's like, no, no, I'm not going to. And then she she has some kind of line about like, well, I guess I could just try being the kind of person who says yes to this sort of thing. And hey, if I don't like it, my towel is 100 feet away. I can just go back to sitting there. And I feel like Aubrey unlocked this part of herself by doing that, by almost pushing herself out of her like tr- otherwise trauma responses she had developed to really hold herself back from people, especially from men. I was reading that whole part like, is this a real thing people do that they kind of just like, bulldoze through their trauma and are like, okay, I'm going to pretend I don't feel this way. I'm going to pretend this man couldn't just murder me in this bathroom right now. And I'm going to go in there and make out with him. And, you know, she was seemingly thinking about having sex with him and then didn't. And I was looking at it like Aubrey kind of decided to try being a different person that night. And that's what allowed her to feel this like burning desire towards that man, Miller. But I think there's this totally other way of seeing it that you brought up of, or is that just showing you that she doesn't have that lustful feeling for Luke? And then the question is, what times of your life do you need those lustful relationships versus the safe ones? And if you're going to have a forever person, like what balance of those two things do they need? Definitely. 
it, it totally threw my whole feeling about the relationship between Aubrey and Luke. It just, it just messed with me on that. I, I, when I read that scene, cause I thought, oh, maybe Aubrey could have more and feel more and move beyond this, these fears and, and this way that she's been living her life for a really long time. And almost, again, going back to the way that like, you're living in a small community, your story is the story that everyone knows. And then also gets like reinforced the story that you tell yourself of what's possible. Right. So for Mm -hmm. Aubrey, she's a very specific type of person in that community. Very meek, very kind, always thinking about other people, always helping other people. That's how she ends up in this relationship with Luke. But then in that moment, she wasn't those things anymore. You know, she was different than that. And like you, I mean, it could be what you said, where it's like just a a, a, a moment of denial in some way <laughs> that she's like, I'm just going to pretend I'm different for a minute, but I, mm-hmm. I don't want to be different. Well, it uh, makes me that it makes me yeah. think about the theme of healing and redemption. And I I'm realizing now this is like this is a third part to what was I thought was previously a two part quote connection that on page 74, they're talking about Nadia and she's I think she was maybe at church with Aubrey and she's Nadia's thinking, was that all it took kneeling at the altar and asking for help? And she's kind of disbelieving that it could just be that easy and she doesn't do it. And then later, page 141, Luke is at church with Aubrey and he thinks, how could anyone believe that healing was that easy? Only a matter of asking for it. And then the paragraph goes on and he's holding hands with Aubrey and it ends with, for the first time, he felt whole. And so he did actually try it. He thought, okay, could it be that easy? Let me give it a try and see. And now this is kind of, you know, completing the trifecta with now Aubrey having this similar moment for herself on page 172. This is when she says, oh, what the heck? And, you know, let's Miller help her up to go play volleyball. She had made an impulsive decision, the type of thing she never did. Suddenly the night crackled with promise. She could be a different girl tonight. The type the type who could talk to strange men and not feel scared. You know, she goes on. She could. She could. And so she also accepted this possibility of could it just be this easy? Could I just try something different? And I don't think that's easy because I think the hardest things in life are fighting momentum and trying to switch directions on something. And it's, it's not easy, but it's simple. You know, the answer is just simple. And I think Luke and Aubrey are both letting themselves try to be healed. And Nadia still hasn't given it a try. Yes. I love that you connected the dots across all three of those things. It is such a a cool arc that we're seeing of, like you said, Nadia is almost the one living in denial. And it's not even that she's, she's just is um, maybe even doesn't believe she can get past the things that have happened in her, in her past or, or she's, avoiding she 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 just keeps going from one thing that she thinks will help her to the next she goes away for college she never comes home she goes overseas when she's a student she has all these different boyfriends she's living this 
I think life that both Aubrey and Luke at times feel jealous about a little bit, I think. Mm-hmm. When in reality, Luke and Aubrey are the ones that are kind of staying in their stuff. And yeah, like you said, almost able to evolve more because they're not avoiding, they're not running away. Um, right. And I, yeah, like I, I think Nadia's running away most of the book. And Nadia's not getting out of her head. You know, she's taking a lot of action by living someplace different, going all these, taking these classes, going to different places, but she's still in her head about everything. Whereas I feel like Luke and Aubrey have come out of their heads and let themselves. I mean, Luke especially has had this incredibly humbling physical experience of going through rehab twice. And I think healing has to be, it can't just happen in your head. It also has to happen physically. And Luke's done that. And by letting Aubrey into his life, Aubrey's done that by letting Luke into her life. But Nadia hasn't hasn't gotten there yet. Did you have other things underlined from the half? The other things that I underlined were a lot of the kind of scene setting quotes by the mothers that I really appreciated. Just the way they would use place or weather to have a metaphor put in and then talk about a change in the story. Um, There's one part on page 58 where they're talking about the mist that is rolling over Oceanside in the late spring and the fog. And, you know, it goes on and on. It's really beautiful. And then it ends with the fog had brought with it news. The first lady had hired a new assistant and her name was Nadia Turner. And I love the combination of scene, weather, with the action of the book yeah looking back through it i'm realizing the majority of the stuff i have under underlined is the mother's voice Mm -hmm. and i didn't realize that until you just said that but even from the first age basically they start out the book and there's this line that I thought was such a, a good opening. All good secrets have a taste before you tell them. And if we'd taken a moment to switch this one around our mouths, we might have noticed the sourness of an unripe secret, plucked too soon, stolen and passed around before its season. But we didn't. Mm, and then yes. they go on to say how they shared the sour secret that was that Nadia had gotten pregnant by the pastor's son and then went to the abortion clinic. So they, they had shared that secret, but there's so much in those. I mean, it's that one sentence. It's one sentence. <laughs> it's just, um, and the fact that there seems to be even in that voice, like remorse about sharing that secret and the impact that it, that it had like such a mood. It's like the mood of the book is set in so many ways and and I just she's a brilliant writer just to be able to do that with one sentence it is um, yeah I love these the mothers and I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out in the second half if Nadia especially if she comes to have more of a direct relationship with the mothers if they if we're kind of come full circle here of them not just being 
watching from afar, but if they get more intertwined in the story. Yeah. I feel like the wedding could be that moment. I don't know. I actually don't remember. But it will be interesting to see if they stay removed or if they are, in fact, yeah, interacting with the characters more. So mm-hmm. looking forward to that. Exactly. Uh, anything else? Last thing I'm going to say is the Taylor Swift song that this first half of the book reminds me of. Spirit. <laughs> is Seven, which is a song about childhood friendships. And I know that Aubrey and Nadia didn't meet till they were both 18. It wasn't really a childhood being seven, eight years old friendship, but I feel like their relationship, especially that summer, had such similar vibes of just like intense love and intertwining with someone else. And that's what young friendships feel like. And the song is about, even though maybe later in life, you don't remember those friends' faces or names, like they were, that love was real and was very special and will always be there. And so I think Aubrey and Nadia had that. And I hope, I hope theirs will last, but you know, we, we heard that quote about nostalgia. Maybe it won't, but that doesn't mean it wasn't this really beautiful, special thing. And the book also has, or the song also talks about passed down like folk songs. Our love lasts so long. And I feel like this idea of like passing things down like folk songs is very much like the mothers who are passing down history, oral history. And yeah, seven, seven is the song of the mothers part one. I'm going to go listen to that because I don't know if I've even heard it before. So I want to listen to it. And I love that you brought that up because I think it's such a, it, it is a theme of the book. And I think the mothers, you know, as much as they maybe are this voice, this judgmental voice, they are also this, they're the previous generation. They're bringing this next generation along and trying to help them, giving them advice for better or for worse, I guess. So Taylor Swift, always, always intertwined with everything as well. She's always here. She's like the mothers. She is watching over us, (laughs) narrating my life. She is the narrator of my life. (laughs) But it's true. Perfect. Perfect. Hi, I'm Horizon, and I'm very honored to be part of this podcast. The way Britt Bennett described Nadia's grief and her father's grief for Nadia's mother was really refreshing to me because it was very new and this book actually showed me that there are different kinds of coping mechanisms, not only for love but also for friendship. And it actually made me understand the coping mechanisms of my friends and family a lot better. You know what would make this podcast even better? Me saying like less. And more importantly, this show would be better if you were on it. We want every episode to include audio messages from you. To make this happen, you need to know what the episodes will be about ahead of time. And I can share that with you when you get the podcast newsletter. Sign up at DontTalkToMePod.com. And you know that thing they all say about, please leave me a review? It would be really cool if you did that. So give it a thought. Hopefully a five-star thought. Thank you.